you guys for sharing your journey. What, what happened with the Cox is there. I want to see happen just as many times as is humanly possible, as is supernaturally possible among us for our neighbors. That's our call. It's not good for us to be alone. And I appreciate how they shared that and their journey with us. Um, I had a notably disorienting experience this past week. I've talked to, about it with some of you. And I won't soon forget. Now, a little background. Most of you know that, it, I mean, if you've been around me at all, but even you could observe this, just observing me from afar for any significant time. I am not at my most comfortable when I am dressed up, right? I'm not at my most comfortable when I am in nice attire, okay? Even s- semi-casual attire, you know? I, I, I'm just not I'm not that. And so as a result, I rarely wear a suit and tie. Now, there are times when it's appropriate and it's called for. I'm not so uncomfortable that I don't do that when it's appropriate, but it, but it is rare. And so uh, most of you, when you see me on one of those rare occasions, uh, I get a comment from at least one of you almost every time I wear a suit and tie. It's something like this. It might be one of my sweet sisters saying, oh, don't you look nice today? Or one of my brothers saying, well, boy, you clean up nice. And, uh, and so it's flattering, you know, it's a, it's a compliment. But we talk about, in our ministry staff, we talk about this phenomenon that ministers get. They're called backhanded compliments, right? We talk about these. They are, they're really, they're compliments, but that's just kind of a smokescreen for critique, right? Or, or, or outright rebuke. But at least embedded in it is a strong opinion that they would like to tell you. So, so I hear it when I'm in my suit. Oh, oh my, you don't look good today. I mean, you look good today. As opposed to all the other days when I see you and I say nothing. Right? There, there's an embedded critique in there. And hey, I own it. I live with it. I don't just preach, be who you are. I am being who I am with all corresponding consequences. You got to live with those. And that's true. Now, one of the most consistent people to make note of when I am uh, dressed up in a suit and tie. I don't mind calling out by name. It is my good shepherd and fellow preacher, Brent Adams. Brent, when he sees me in a suit and tie, here is his typical routine. Well, hi there, I'm Brent Adams. Who are you? <laughs> Probably in my 16 years here, I've had a couple of dozen comments from Brent just like that, and my ritual return is, oh yeah, I'm sorry, it's hard to to um, recognize me in my preacher costume. Here, let me shelter my tie. Just look Nick up. You see me now, Brent? You know? And so I always thought that was a joke until from Brent that he didn't recognize me. I thought he really did until this last Thursday. I had occasion on Thursday morning to need to wear my suit and tie. And so I got dressed in the morning like I always do. But in my suit and tie, I come out down the hallway, around the corner into the living room like I always do. There's my beloved dog, Monster, bowled up on his ottoman like he always is. And like he always does, when, when Daddy turns the corner, he looks up. Only this time, instead of getting that ear-lifting dog smile, oh, hey, hey, Dad, he looked at me, he looked again, and he starts growling. <laughs> he starts growling and then barking, and then he, he hops up off the ottoman, and he is, I mean, that dog has a little pit bull in his mix, okay? And this is when it came out. He is growling. He is mad at me. He is, I, I'm like, I, I know exactly what's happening. So I don't know what to do. I don't know whether to laugh or to run. 
Because and you ask my men in my basement that come late. They know this phenomenon. Grown men, massive army rangers, huddled up in the corner because of monster. He is scary. So I start talking in ways that I think will trigger familiarity. Hey, want a hot dog? Want to go outside? Hey, I'm just desperately trying to get him to recognize who I am so that he doesn't treat me like an enemy that he thinks I am. Okay, so that's the story. It traumatized me on Thursday. Monster not recognizing me. I mean, I belong to him. He belongs to me. We love each other. It's, we do. But he didn't recognize me. Okay, so just take that and, and hang on to that for a second. I'll come back to that. So, like Joel told you, we are in the middle of this six-week series in which we're taking a closer look at our vision statement, our newly revised vision statement. It's not a new vision for us, but it's a new statement of that vision. I think abundantly better that our family exists in order to love first, become like Jesus, and advance his mission. So we spent the first two weeks on the first phrase, love first. We'll spend the last two weeks on advance his mission. But right now, for these next two weeks, we're going to be looking at this middle phrase, that we exist to become like Jesus. So there's a reason this is the phrase that's right in the middle. Of course, there's a reason love first is first. I hope that's obvious, but there's a reason this one's right smack in the middle. Because when we as sincere followers of Scripture and of God and of Christ dedicate our lives to becoming like Christ, you're going to end up being a love first person because Jesus Christ was a love first person. When you set your sights on becoming like Jesus, you're going to end up doing the third phrase, advancing his mission, because Jesus spent his life advancing God's mission. And so that's why this one's right in the middle. And the call to live like Jesus, I got to be careful because this is my favorite thing to talk about. It, it helps me understand that otherwise complicated book called the Bible. It helps me interpret it. It helps make sense of it. When I discovered in Scripture this call of Scripture, this overarching call to live in and like Jesus Christ, it cleared up so much. And it gave me as a follower of God my purpose. It gave me my goal. It gave me my marching orders. And I loved it. I started living life in a full way. And what I mean by that is it made sense of all the religious practices that I had engaged in all my life. Okay, it's not that, as a matter of fact, I think it would be fair to say that it converted me from the negative connotation of what we mean when we say religion in a negative way. It's not all negative, but we use it. It converted me from not doing religious practices anymore. I gave them up. I did a lot of the same things, but now they were just these sacred acts that helped me do what I was trying to do. I knew the reason for them. They're to shape me into the likeness of Jesus. And so they ceased to be just religious practices. And they became these formation opportunities for me. It redeemed everything. I mean, as if the call of the Bible is to be religious. As if the call of the Bible is to join a religion. It's not. It's a call and a guide to a way to a way of life. And so I started living that way of life, and wouldn't you know it, I found out what Scripture says is true. I have tested lots of ways of living. This seems to be the best, most abundant way to live. I believe it. But this really, 
this, this little key unlocked all of Scripture for me. And so I love it. And there's so many scriptures I could use to illustrate and promote to you that this is the Bible. That's my job today is to talk about this phrase theologically. Is it true? Is this really, is this just our, we came up with this good idea. This is just what we want our vision to be. Or did we get it from scripture? Is it the call of scripture? And there's so many I could use. Uh, There's Peter, you know, the disciple Peter. In one of his little books, he said this, to this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. We don't take that literally. We're not going to pack up, go over to the Middle East and walk where he walked. Although I would love to do that. That would be quite an experience. But that's not the call here. It's to follow his example. It's to be like him. Peter got that. Paul got that. It's in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. If you just need one to remember, it's easy because it's all ones. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, okay? It's right there where Paul says simply, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And Jesus, of course, in countless ways, kept trying to explain that he's offering a way. Yes, he's offering life in him. That guarantees eternity, but he's also offering life like him. That brings the kingdom experientially to you now. Only life like him does that. Get you to start tasting the kingdom here and displaying it, quite frankly. He said in John 13, this is just one of his most concise ways he said it. He says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. He's saying, you're not, he's sitting with his disciples, his students. He's not teaching them. He's not expecting out of them what your teachers expect out of you in the classroom. That's all information-based. They've got a notebook. They've got a teacher's manual, a teacher's edition of the book. They put that on the whiteboard. You put it in your notes. Then they give you a piece of paper, and you get tested on your knowledge. doesn't matter how you live. That's not true for Jesus. It's not true for us, for Christianity. He says, no, I'm watch me. I'm setting an example so that what I'm doing for you and have done for you, you do for others. And then John, the disciple John, he really got it. And this verse right here, uh, you've heard me talk about it a lot. When I found this, when I underlined it, I bolded it, I highlighted it. It is in every Bible. It, it, this, I, did, I adopted it. This is my life verse. I, I, I want this to be true. He says this. John says, in this, I'm sorry. He says, this is how we know we are in him. In, pause. Don't we all want to know this? Don't we all wonder sometimes? Don't you? Am I the only one that wakes up at night and go, man, do I I get any of this? Am I with you? Are we, am I in you? How am I supposed to know? Really? Am I the only one that does that? Or John, if you want a litmus test that helps you know, here's what, listen to what he says. He says, this is how we know we're in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. And here's where I get that phrase you hear me saying all the time. The point is to live in and like Christ, in and like Christ, in and like Christ. Right here it says it twice, in him. We live in Christ. That's Jesus playing his role for us as Savior. We're forgiven of our sins. He even redeems those sins. And our eternity is secure. That's living in Jesus as Savior. Living like Jesus is receiving Jesus as Lord. Now, we're going to live 
his way. We surrender to his way and we transform. And the same spirit that comes into us to trigger salvation, to trigger forgiveness when we're in Jesus, we're clothed in him, is the same spirit that is working over time to transform you to live more like him. Appreciated what Dan said today. That that's what, that's what he was describing is that work of the Spirit trying to kill what's not like Christ so that we can be this light to the world. A couple of chapters later, and this is, you, you all know this is so important to me because I've, I've met so many of our, our friends that have gone on that at the end of their life they didn't have confidence, you know? And so John says, listen to this in John 4, 1 John 4, in this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment, because in this world we are like him. Did you get this? This is powerful. He says, in this way, in what way is love made complete among us? In what way does confidence come brewing up in our hearts so that even when we're faced with the ultimate human fear, death, we're confident? In what way? He says, because in this world we're like him. There's so many scriptures that I could use to illustrate for you that the call to be like Christ is the call of the Bible. But let me just walk you through one that I don't use quite as frequently. It's Paul in Romans, four verses in chapter eight. here's, Here's how it starts. He says, he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, there's, this passage is Paul, one of Paul's richest. It like, there's probably six sermons in these four verses. I only read two of, it, two of them to you. I mean, there's so many interesting and useful things. How prayer works, at least partially, is addressed here. The Holy Spirit's role, what, what the Holy Spirit's doing on our behalf is addressed here. There's this kingdom truth that is frequently quoted and needed, especially in years like 2020. This kingdom perspective that we're allowed to have, that no matter how bad things are, all things collaborate together to work towards his purpose for good for those who love God. I mean, so there's a lot here, but the only thing I really want you to notice in these first two is he's setting us up. He's piquing our interest. Do you see? In the first verse, he talks about God's will. In the second verse, he talks about God's purpose. This is one of the epic questions of humanity. What is God's will? What is God's point? What's his purpose for us and for me? What's he working towards? What is God's will that the Spirit intercedes in accordance with? What is God's purpose that he works all things together to accomplish? And the next verse, he declares it. You already know what it is. It's the middle phrase of our statement. He says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. That his son, Jesus, might be just the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. You see it? God's will for you, God's purpose for us is to be conformed into the likeness of Jesus. In heart, in character, in mission, in attitude, in priorities, we are called to be conformed 
to the likeness of Jesus. If we're going to be recognized out there as a people of God. If we're not interested in that, if we're not interested in being recognized out there as the people of God, we can just skip this. We don't need to worry about it. We don't need to surrender to it. We don't need to conform our lives, our hearts, our attitudes into the image of Christ. But if we want to be recognized out there as the people of God, this is our work. And when I say our work, I mean surrendering to what he is already in you, more motivated to do in you than you ever will be. This takes me back to Monster. I didn't like it when Monster looked at me and he didn't know who I was. I didn't like the posture he took towards me. He looked at me and was treating me as if I was an enemy. Okay, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. That didn't seem right. We have a relationship, okay? We're supposed to be enjoying a fun, playful, loving relationship that doesn't happen if he doesn't recognize me. Now, for that, with my dog, all I got to do is not wear a suit. No problem. I want to do that anyway. But I also do not like it. I do not like it when the world looks at me And there is no chance that they're going to see anything that resembles Jesus. I cannot bear thinking that the world would look at our church and experience us in any way that takes away from who Jesus is or adds to what Jesus is or just doesn't look like Jesus at all. I I do not want the world to look at Christianity in our nation or in the globe and look at us and have to and so not see Jesus' heart and character and priorities and mission and attitude, and they have to look at us and they treat us like an enemy. That's how important this middle phrase is. It determines whether we are a light to the world or not. This is what does it. Not getting all the knowledge right. We want to do that. But we'll start with this: being like Christ. Or you will have no say in the world, no credibility to speak anything that's true if we're not that, if we're not like Christ. You, won't, you will not be credible. And so I'm telling you, we need to acknowledge something here. This, this could be devastatingly scary, right? Like if, if, if you just replace some old legalistic code that you got to measure up to in order to get to heaven with this new phrase, I need to be like Jesus or I'm not going to heaven or I need to be enough like Jesus or I can't be useful in the world. And you just, you have to have ears to hear. You've got to understand. You need to see it as privilege and opportunity. If, if it is on you to white knuckle it and be like Jesus enough to, to represent Jesus in the world, not only are you going to get tired, it will not work. I'm telling you, I'm just ta- speaking for me. I, I doubt I'm the only one that would say this, but it, I look in the mirror, I know me. It would take an act of God for me to be like Jesus in any way, in any area. Good news. That is exactly what he offers with this call. You becoming like Jesus is not your act. It's not an act. It is a legit 
conforming of you by the power of God. It is an act of God that is already trying to happen in you. You just need to let it. You need to surrender to it. You need to just allow it. He wants it more than you do. The last verse in this little set of four verses describes it. I love this. This is the act of God. You tell me in this verse, there's four moves of this pathway towards Christ-likeness. There's four moves that we can see in this verse, none of which have to do with you working or acting. It's all about him. Listen, he says, and those he predestined, don't get hung up on that word. It just means he predetermined, he wrote it in that this is what should happen. This is his desire, okay? Those he predestined, to live in that certain way. Now he's implying that way is the best way to live. His way, we can trust, is the best way. Just in that one word. Those he predestined, he also let in on it. He called. Those, he, it's not a secret agenda that he has. He has revealed it to us. He's revealed it to you. He's called you. Which means he believes it's possible for you. He wrote it this way. That's his design from long ago. He's informing you that that's his way. He's calling you into it, which means it's available. And then right on cue, the next move, it's as if Paul knew we might look at ourselves and see the massive distance between us and what we're like and what we see Christ is like and because of our sin. And and so we're just going to give up before we even start. So he adds, those he called, he justifies. He takes care of that. That sin that you think disqualifies you, he justifies it and you. He forgives you and he'll even redeem it and heal it. He'll take care of that. You're safe regardless of your sin. And then for those that he justified, that's the gospel message that's living in Christ, okay? The forgiveness, the redemption, he then glorifies And I'm telling you, we like to be glorified about a lot of things, you know. We say we don't, but we do. For really good athletes, you know, we like that to be glorified. Put point at it. It's, there's, some, there's value to that. If we're very successful in business, we want the glory for that. There's, there's something to that. I'm not saying necessarily in a prideful way. I'm just saying it, the acknowledgement of it, there is a glory to it. That's how I should say it. It, it, even things we haven't earned in our world. And this one is it's just sad that it's this way. But we have standards of beauty and looks. And if we got good looks or beauty, then that gets glorified. There's something in that. But in the Christian economy, those things matter not to the Christian. The most glorifying thing would for someone to be able to look at you and say, I see Jesus. That's our esteemed goal. That's what we long for. That's the Christian economy. And he says, he does that. We don't do it. We don't do any of this. He does it all. So next week, we're going to talk about how. I'm going to do my best to talk about how do we do that? How do we engage in becoming more like Christ in all those ways? And I'm looking forward to that. But you need to remember Whatever I say next week, it will all be under the posture of surrendering and allowing God to do what he predestined you for, what he predetermined every Christian would be, and that is to be like Christ. Let me dismiss our leaders to going outside and into the foyer, and if you're just needing a touch today, that's that's why we do this, and so on your way out, just please come up to us, and and we'll pray for you, anything you need, but I want to give you 
Um, one more verse, and a, an assignment and a thought as we finish up this week on the theology of our statement, okay? It's in Galatians 5. There's a pretty good list here that describes what Jesus is like. There's lots of ways. I have found infinite ways to describe what Jesus is like because there's so much to him and so much relevance in different areas of life. But this is a pretty good one. A lot of us as Christians, we know this as a list of the fruit of the Spirit. But the Spirit lived in Jesus, and this then lists the qualities of the Spirit that you have when the Spirit is in charge and you're not, okay? It's a pretty good list of Christ-likeness. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So here's my assignment for you. Take this verse. It's Galatians 5, 22. And take this verse, and I want you to do a little personal inventory. In each of these qualities, just scale of 1 to 10. How are you? How are you in these qualities? And maybe next week when we talk about how to become more like Christ, you could hang on to this, just shove it in a drawer. Maybe you'll find it in six months. And maybe you could do some things that would surrender yourself to him and you could pull that back out and grade yourself again. Now, extra credit, extra credit. I want you to do that, but grade, I want you to grade yourself in different categories with each of these qualities. How well do you do in each of these qualities in your marriage? How well do you do in your parenting? How well do you do in your family? How well do you do with your siblings? How well do you do at school? How about at work? How about on social media? How about, you know, in your words? How about inside? How about when you're driving a car? How well are you in these categories of Christ-likeness? You don't need to be discouraged. You need to be exhorted because you're not living the best life available. Now, extra, extra credit, only for the very daring and bold. Ask someone close to you. Ask them. Someone who you won't punish for answering honestly. Ask them to grade you in those areas. Again, what Dan, Dan preached the sermon and our thing, he said, it's not easy. It's not. It's all, it's, but it's ours. And it's available and it's worth it. You know, in the context of our culture we're in right now, this heated division that we're all feeling, we're in the midst of, there's another reason I love this clarity of becoming like Christ. Because in, in, it's legitimately hard to know right now what to say, when to say it, how to say it. It's nuanced. If I say one thing, there is a nuance to it that is another thing. And in our culture, they seem to be fighting, okay, when there's truth in both. And it's just difficult. This is a very difficult time to live on what to do and what to say. And whatever specific actions you might be called to take in the world on behalf of Christ, whatever administration or government is in charge in our world and in our culture. Here's the encouragement. For this list, against such, there is no law. You're always right doing these. There's a safety for you here. No matter how many mistakes you make out there, no matter how many words you get wrong or attitudes that have crept in, no matter what, if you give yourself over to these, no matter what's going on, this is always the work of Christ. This is always the work of kingdom bringing. You could even say the wrong thing, but if you say it in the Christ-like way, 
There's going to be lots of grace for you, even from people. So I want to encourage you with this middle phrase of our statement. It's our call, and it's what makes us the light of the world. We're all going to need help with this. We all need help with this. But it's worth it. It's worth it. God's worth it. And the world he loves is worth it to live like Christ. Let's stand and let's sing and ask God to make us more like him.